This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. For now, we'd love to welcome you to Bite Into It. Tonight, I'm joined by Kent. Hello. And Cassie. Hi. Hey, great to have you guys here. And uh, later this evening, we are going to be speaking to a man who's taken leave from his day job in professional services to focus on building an app to help people split costs. So it's going to be a bit of a financed focus show this evening. We're also going to talk about some apps that might help you be prepared for your next tax return. And that's right, we're a whole year ahead of ourselves. Yes, tax. Yes. It doesn't get more... (laughs) Mandatory than that. (laughs) In news this week, Kent, what have we got? Um, We've got a great quote from Colin Angle, who is the CEO of Roomba. Uh, Roomba, of course, well, CEO of iRobot, who produces the Roomba. Um, The Roomba, for those who don't know, is a cute little robot vacuum that cruises around your house and sucks up all your dirt. Yeah, Jeff Sparrow was talking about these this morning. He's he's got one. They're, I don't know so if it's that fun. brand, but yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're the most fun ever because it's kind of like having a pet and a robot and it's useful. You know, it's like it's like an anti-dog. I don't want to say that. Sorry, dogs. <laughs> dogs, dogs <are laughs> Well, dogs useful. leave hairs and the Roombas pick <laughs> them up. It's, they have a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> yes, yes, let's say that, let's say that. Um, but yeah, one of the quotes from Colin Angle, the CEO, is, there's an entire ecosystem of things and services that the smart home can deliver once you have a rich map of the home that the user has allowed to be shared. And when you read that quote, some alarm bells might go off. Yes. Um, and some journalists have looked into the terms and conditions of the Roomba. And in fact, it clearly states that they have the right to use, share and sell your personal data which in this case is it's the map of your the place. map of your own home and your furniture in the home. Yeah, even. which which I don't know. We're, we're all okay with having our phones and and all these different sort of little invasions into our privacy. But the thought of someone knowing the exact layout of my house. But is it just the layout, or do these things have cameras so that they can help navigate the environment? I, I so am pictures. not sure about that, but but that has got to be coming, right? If mm. if that's not there, that's got to be on the way. Uh, m- computer vision and these kind of things. Mm. So it it's all a little bit creepy, and and I think I just wanted to raise it. Um, to sort of, you know, a a little public service announcement to remind users that if you're bringing a a smart device into your home, um, just maybe read the fine print because you may be giving some very personal information to a big corporation somewhere. I mean, it's quite forward thinking. You know, you're like, all right, I'm going to sell this vacuum. Why not put something in the terms and conditions that means that I have unbridled access to... Yeah, what? I mean... Smart, forward thinking from a... I'm being sarcastic. It's the usual usual trade-off between, you know, benefit for us and cost benefit and that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, It'd be interesting to see what type of proposition they'd be offering back to the consumer to say we're going to make this helpful for you. In fairness, this was presented um, in the context of of the interview Colin Engel was talking about. Um, He believes that most users would give their consent in order to ease smart home usability. So the idea is that you're only sharing that data with other uh, devices in your own smart home so that, I don't know, maybe your your robot monkey can walk around and not bash into walls. They're walking a very fine line between, you know, asking for permission to do things that... Uh, we don't need any help doing at the moment. Yes. I don't have any usability problems in my house at the moment. I mean, I might stub my toe occasionally on something, but that's generally <laughs> my own fault. I don't think the room is going to help with that. Yeah, but the idea of having a lot of connected devices that um, complicate the usability of my experience, mm, that's that's a 
that's introducing problems instead of solutions, I feel. Yeah, let's see where it goes. Speaking of problems and possible solutions and things, there was a, a good article that came out um, couple, uh, yesterday in the AFR saying that some telecommunications companies are calling for prices to be slashed in the NBN pricing review. Um, specifically, uh, Vodafone Hutchinson Australia, um, who are aspiring to provide broadband services to the country, have um, had their general manager... Um, of fixed services, uh, Matthew Lobb, um, speaking about uh, NBN prices and saying that there's incentives for retail service providers to sell higher speeds that aren't currently in place. But if the NBN focused on hitting revenue targets through users taking up higher speed plans rather than through just usage overall, um, that that might be a more strategic way for them to get returns and... um, and also give them more flexibility on price. Yeah, this this I, I have to wonder about this. This comes back to the what they call the CVC, the charge. connectivity virtual circuit charge, mm. um, which essentially I, I, back in June um, the NBN rolled out some new charges that are focused on charging broadband providers based on how much. Uh, bandwidth they provide to their users. So if I'm a provider and I agree to the MBN, I'm going to buy this much bandwidth per annum. I'm not sure how how often the period is. Mm. But if I agree I'm going to buy this much bandwidth, then you'll get basically a bulk discount. Um, And I I sort of found another quote from uh, Telstra saying Mm. that back in June, oh yeah, this is actually a good plan. We're on board with the CVC. And now two months later, we've got Vodafone coming out saying, actually, we think usage is not the way to go. It should be based on speed. Mm. So I, I don't know whether we've got different companies playing to their different strengths yeah. or it's, it's difficult to know what is genuinely going to lead to the best market It certainly is. And um, for the general individual consumer, you know, the, the word on the street is, it's too expensive to get really fast speeds. Yeah. It's only really worth it if you're a business and you've got real, you know, data requirements that yeah. need to push a lot of stuff around. But I wonder, I wonder if uh, Vodafone, to, to use a term from uh, iOS gaming, if they're looking for whales. So <laughs> Vodafone wants their very they want their well Dick. off, yeah, their well off um, internet user who can kind of subsidise. It's kind of, you know, it's like it's like business class and first class on a plane. You have your very expensive plans which are super fast, lightning fast, you get what you want, and that subsidises some of the lower plans. Will, will it work in, in internet? Mm. But I think we'll from a out. consumer's point of view, it it does kind of seem like it's not free, but based off something similar to the freemium model that we've seen on so much software and, and so many products where certain things are free, but you have to put up with inconveniences such as ads, or in this case, not as fast speeds. But then when you pay a bit more, you can get the, the better plans. Um, and I think at the moment, it's most consumers, well, this is just from my reading of it, but most consumers want or expect unlimited internet access and it is really the speeds that we're currently debating. So it's an interesting take on it. Um, I personally think that that's something that will resonate with a lot of people. You know, we're used to having data that's either so big um, that we never reach it mm-hmm. effectively unlimited or unlimited um, and really only being capped on our phones and mobile devices. So, yeah, it 
it also, again... It all depends on how observable the lag is. And, you know, because once it's not observable, then it essentially, the problem disappears. Yeah. But it's, it's about matching that with the price point. And we don't know, you know, how rich our service delivery will have to be in the future. But when you've got people, you know, having problems all downloading Game of Thrones at once, you're like, you know, <laughs> okay, there's definitely bandwidth issues here that are super visible and people would probably pay to get around that. I would much rather see, you know, the service as a whole just improve in quality and then we figure out, you know, how much we want to have. But Well, yeah. the, I mean, and that's the interesting point is it are people concerned about getting Game of Thrones quickly or everyone being able to get it at once? Yeah. That's that's the interesting trade-off. Mm, absolutely. Kent, what's going on in the dark side of the oh, web? the dark web. <laughs> well, the authorities, the, the Dutch authorities and the FBI um, had a bit of a win. They took down two of the major marketplaces on the dark web, uh, Alpha Bay and Hansa. Apparently, um, the Alpha Bay founder, Alexandra Kazes, he, he um, actually committed suicide the week after the event. So um, kind of a, a serious tone to this, to this yeah. news item. Um, but apparently one of those stories of a, a young technology person who has basically found a very easy way to make money on the dark web um, and has led him very astray. Uh, so Alphabay was the, the primary marketplace for illegal goods basically on the dark web and the FBI took it down and sort of in a, a sting operation, they kept an eye on Hansa, which was one of the, I think the third uh, marketplace where expecting that when they shut down one marketplace, another one would, would yes. rise up. So when Silk Road closed, you know, we knew that this was going to be the target. Exactly. And, and so, once again. so basically this time they've been a little, little bit smarter and kind of set this trap. Um, and so as users flooded from Alphabay to Hansa, it gave them some extra hooks to be able to track them and, and figure out who they were. Mm. And then they were able to shut down Hansa and take down a whole, a whole lot more people as Gee. well. So it's... It's kind of, it just illustrates this ongoing battle that the authorities are never, ever going to be able to completely shut every dark web marketplace in the world. It's, it's going to be this battle that goes to the end of time, but, and it's just waves of, of, you know, whether the authorities are winning or the, the illegal hackers basically are winning. So... I don't know. It's it's another battle, but the war is not over. No, basically. part of me can't help but just be really fascinated by the techniques that they use to try and trace people through what should be, you know, the tour networks and and well, it, theoretically it, untraceable things. But there's always there's always vulnerabilities and where people jump out of things and into exactly. things. And it's it's funny because it's it's exactly like um, forensics in the real world, where there's always a clue. And apparently, the the founder of um, Alpha Bay, he let his email address or an email address that was linked to him, he accidentally sent it out in the header of another email. So it was just this tiny little little hint mm. and they were able to follow that thread. So It's um, going to make a very boring movie one day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the visuals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Flash has lost its final appeal and Adobe has sentenced Flash to... Uh, to pass away. Um, so in 2020, it's going to die. We've been, I've been reading versions of this article <laughs> for more than a decade <laughs> yeah. now. Um, and, and depending on your uh, allegiances as a, as a developer, particularly a web developer, um, some people would always cheer this story because it was something they didn't have to support. Yeah. And it would be another thing where clients wouldn't ask for a crazy jumping around thing before they got to a restaurant website or something. So, you know, Flash is 
really, it was really powerful and ahead of its time and would let people use their imagination to make multimedia and, and mm-hmm. make their sites interactive and things. But we were still learning a lot about user experience then. So I think Flash got tainted a lot by by that. But people made brilliant games with Flash. And um, so I'm a little bit, you know, I'm yeah, I, a little bit, yeah, Do you, do you think is it, it's, it's mostly the, the gaming, right, that, yeah. that it's kind of left? I feel like uh, video sites, YouTube, you know, they've moved to HTML5. Most... Audio sites are using HTML5, so there's there's not too many people using uh, Flash still, except for the the kooky, funny, ridiculous games. So it'll be kind of sad if we lose this whole yeah. swathe of the internet in in one foul blow. One of one of the worst things about Flash was the fact that. Um often you needed Flash updates so that uh, people weren't exploiting different vulnerabilities and yep. using um, a Flash download to sort of an opportunity to inject stuff to your browser mm-hmm. and, and access your computer. And so the security vulnerabilities really gave Flash a bad name as well. And and they're still happening. I, yeah. mean, the, the brow- I constantly see in browsers, they're like, um, we've disabled Flash because yeah. someone hacked it again. <laughs> or it used to be that when you were looking after a kind of naive internet user, you would disable Flash for them yes. because they could not be trusted. Yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to anyone who I did that to. Well, but I grew it was up, for your own good. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up playing Flash games and so I was quite young and... Uh, Less, even stupider than I am now. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there was. In fact, there you are times. younger than Flash itself, aren't you, Cassie? Oh, I, I don't know if I'm younger, younger than Flash, but I'm definitely younger than uh, something else that's soon to be scheduled to die. Oh yes, which is uh, MS Paint, oh, which is, this is which a is sad really story. really tragic and <laughs> and really sad. So MS Paint uh, was born 32 years ago. I was born 25 years ago or 26. So, <laughs> I'm older than paint. Um, <laughs> so, so it's been there my entire life uh, from the very first computer that I crawled towards, um, <laughs> which is true. My dad is a computer programmer, so Amazing. that's accurate. But um, yeah, so paint's always been around and um, it's always been, well, for me, I'm not sure if this is a experience shared, but it's always been the thing that you fiddle around with when you're meant to be doing other stuff or there's no games on the computer because it's meant to be a computer for homework and so you're creating whole worlds or you know um, different characters in there you're animating your storybooks with badly drawn things in pain and stick figures and we've also had so many comics come out that mm-hmm. are deliberately bad and have that paint that, ethos that aesthetic yeah, yeah very naive um yeah the beautiful. stick figures things or drawn in paint i've actually uh got a friend who does entire portraits in paint um wow. just of just of people and it's great because it's a way to explore your creativity but also deliberately look bad constrained yeah yeah um but instead you know the world just moved too fast for paint right <laughs> the world has just progressed in a way that we want things to look good now and and we have the ability to make things look good and so paint has gone and so no longer can wow. you make things one colour and draw over it and do all these little triangles and move it and make that another colour and call it abstract art. That it was is going in the bin. Such a such a backhanded eulogy there, Cassie. <laughs> I really, like, honestly, my social media feeds this week have just been full of... People say millennials complain, right? But their hearts are breaking about paint. Like this is this is a tragedy. And Microsoft's next Windows 10 update... Um, We'll 
just get rid of it. Just bam. Um, it, it, I guess it will still be something that you can find on the internet, though not on Flash. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, perhaps you'll be able to, to download it. A retro it. MS Paint emulator is what you're predicting. Yeah, an emulator because, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, let's go play a DOS game. Oh, yeah, I'm so retro. And now, but, you know, it's even... My younger brother, who's 11, hasn't grown up with paint in the same way, you know, because... It's a tragedy. There's so many other things. Why, Distracting him. When you can do face swap <laughs> on your on your DS or... What are the kids going to crawl towards now, Cassie? You know, the Snapchat <laughs> filters are there, but it's not the same. There's no consistency that paint brought. There's no... With paint, the Simplicity. only limits were your Simplicity. own imagination and the lack of functionality. And that's beautiful. <laughs> that is a beautiful thing. <laughs> thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. So we recently read about your app in the Australian Financial Review. Um, it's a new peer-to-peer payment app that helps uh, helps maybe save some Aussie friendships. Is the pitch? Could you yeah, tell us a little bit? Of, could you tell us a little bit about how this came about? Yeah, absolutely. Look. Um, uh, mainly it started uh, back in uh, a few years ago when I was in New York and I was catching up with some friends. Um, we were all sitting around this rather expensive steak place and we didn't... Um, we were sort of concerned that we... Some people had steak, some people had fish. And we were trying to figure out exactly how we could split the bill. But after three bottles of red wine, you can imagine it was moderately <laughs> difficult to figure this out. Yeah. Uh, and then you have to add the tip when you're in the States. Absolutely, absolutely. And sort of what proportion of tips should this person have... Um, but yeah, I just thought, right, this is this is a problem we shouldn't have. We have cameras and calculators and comms devices in our in our pockets, and I thought, well, why isn't this a thing? Surely there's something that could be uh, around that would help us do it. And then the final uh, sort of uh, more than say straw that broke the camel's back was I had a um, a roommate who I'd uh, tried to get some bills off, um, and she uh, they took off back to their home country without paying the bills. Mm. Um, and I was basically left out about $500 out of pocket. And I said, this is it. I'm definitely doing an app that will split bills and not friendships. Beautiful. Um, can you talk about, so there are a few apps on the internet that can help us split bills, but I understand the, the OCR is a, is a good sort of angle that you've gone on. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and probably uh, what you're, you're OCR means. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You're definitely not wrong. We're not the first uh, bill splitting app to be launched, and we're just hoping that we will hopefully be the last that you'll ever need to download. Um, the way our process works it is about OCR, which is, stands for Optical Character Recognition. Um, and this simply put is uh, scanning a photo and turning it into usable data so that we don't have to link into any single point of sale system. We don't have to be integrated with, um, you know, the billing systems for uh, electricity companies or anything like that. Um, and what OCR does is essentially it takes a photo. Um, we do some pre-processing on that image to turn it uh, into something that we can then what we would call edge detect or character detection mm -hmm. and then post that we would do post processing on it so that we can then fix up some of the little errors that occur hopefully um or abnormalities i should say that occur from from this particular system and ocr itself is sort of about probabilities and it talks to about probabilities that say this is a three and not an e mm -hmm. if that makes sense 
And is, is there an element of machine learning? So essentially, is your technology going to improve the more people use it? That's 100% correct. We've got an algorithm in there that says every time someone corrects um, an, a, a, a little uh, abnormality in a character recognition, the, the app itself uploads that to the server, edits the software, and then sends that back out um, seamlessly in the background. So it's kind of that same advantage that, say, Google Translate has, where the more people use it, uh, the more accurate it's going to get. And for new Absolutely. users, it just works. Absolutely. So, Dave, are you envisaging that um, you'll also identify maybe some of the bill sources in this case so that maybe, you know, one billing company uses a particular type of font and you're picking up differences there? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, we're trained for some ungodly amount of fonts. <laughs> um, uh, doing it. And there's still a few that we've actually found that read terribly. And so uh, it's quite fun. We, we would find these receipts or people would say this is a, um, one that hasn't worked very well in our, in our support um, section. And we then have to go and find what that font is and then retrain the, the machine learning components of our app, which is, um, which is quite interesting. Um, and yeah, so at the moment it works for most, I'm going to say almost all, but there are just one or two fonts out there that we haven't quite um, completed our machine learning exercise on. Now, Dave, harking back to your inspiration uh, at the restaurant with the wine and uh, checking out the, the steak or the fish, I think most of us will find it really easy to um, imagine and acknowledge where we've got an amount, we've got an amount of people, say six, and it's all evenly divided. Can you talk us through the process of what you would have to go through to allocate each item to each person? Because um, without knowing, without actually using it, that seems like a lot of work on the bill payer's end. Yeah, so I mean, one person will still pay the bill in, in for example, many restaurants in Australia still only accept one card, which is quite frustrating. Drives um, me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and look, the bill payer essentially takes a photo of the receipt, um, adds, the, adds the people from their phone, uh, and then selects in our app, basically we'll need to assign. It, then in the, in the app itself, all of the line items from that bill are scanned in and you drag and drop the people onto what they had. Um, it slightly takes slightly more time than um, just splitting it evenly, uh, but essentially allocating like that is the most economic way for people to have a meal out with their friends. And it really only takes maybe... 10 seconds more than it would from a, uh, a splitting evenly perspective. And, and beyond that, is there something to help actually make the payment? So to get the money from your friend, is that absolutely. incorporated? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a tracking system built in. So it basically tells you when you log in the app, how much you're owed. And you, as soon as you click into that, you can see who's paid you for what particular split. And if they haven't, uh, and then every 12 hours, you can send them a, a reminder and they get a notification on their phone that, um, hey, you haven't paid, uh, you know, Dave for last night's dinner. And can I get a big hairy friend to go around to their house as well? Is that an option? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, that, that okay. service isn't included. Um, Maybe for the premium version. <laughs> <laughs> what about when you're splitting a, a larger amount or a bill that only has one item? For example, if you're paying water or, you know, you're, you're chipping in for dad's birthday present, uh, mm -hmm. but there's, you know, a different proportion per person. Is there is there in the work something to allocate in that sort of way or is that in a future version? It's already, it's already, no, no, it's already, it's already in the app. Oh, um, that's awesome. 
Yeah, so we, we came across this problem when there was, for example, uh, we went out with about six of our mates and uh, it was early testing days, sort of alpha testing. We went to use the uh, app to split the bill and uh, we couldn't allocate different amounts of beers. There was sort of 17 beers. <laughs> <laughs> and we could only allocate one person to that row and we decided, okay, great, well, now you just drag and drop people for how many beers that they had. So if you wanted to split a single item like water, for example, and you could, uh, and there was uh, one person was only there for t- two months rather than the full three, you were just two-thirds it, um, basically by dragging the person on how many times Fantastic. their sort of share was worth. I love that you test the app using beers so you can use it as a tax deduction. That's genius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, exactly what <laughs> Dave, I'm really happy to hear that um, you're using OCR and then machine learning on top of that because I have been the victim of, you know, corporate expense systems that have made me photograph every receipt and then manually enter all of those details again. So I can't thank you enough. Can you pick up the sort of levels of detail that um, some sort of corporates might ask for um, occasionally, like, uh, you know, ABN numbers? Do you, do you track any other information or have you got plans to, to track that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we'd, um, the way we're going to sort of capture that is not so much by um, the user sort of scanning the receipt. It would be by a location services check-in. So that would say, I'm at Bill's Restaurant, for example, and we would know that Bill's Restaurant in our database has this ABN, this address, that kind of thing. All right. That's that's pretty handy. So does that mean you'll, you'll have to turn on, you know, geolocation services in your app to access yeah. that sort and of feature? Just- Exactly, and it's sort of figuring out whether our users would like that or not mm. at the moment through sort of a series of focus groups. Otherwise, we will use OCR in this instance to say, take a photo of the, the restaurant sort of location and ABN uh, for the restaurant details, then take a photo of the, um, the, the line items itself. It's going to be very good again. for FBT. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh Slightly related question. Uh, one of the experiences I've had using apps similar to this is getting everyone to use the same app. Do you have any any good suggestions for for how we can get our friends to use the app or how we can get a group of people to all move to the, the Splitter app? So, I mean, uh, we're not sort of going out there and saying everyone has to be on the app because, and, and because we know that some people themselves uh, don't particularly want to get on it initially, straight away, whatever. Um, so Splitter itself does just text you how much you owe. And so if you just want to pay your friend back through the banking system, you can still do that. Um, the issue that we've that the, the you as the person who's getting paid back, you're not going to know exactly when that money's come in. Unlike when with Splitter, it will tell you exactly when that money has come in. Mm. So the, the, the thing that you should tell your friends is, yeah, that's fine, you can pay me back this way, but I want to kind of track who's paid... Uh, and, and when they when paid me. Yeah, I liked uh, so that, that you built in that manual out. feature to, to check off if someone had paid you, say, in person. Exactly. Yeah, that and, was... and that was important for us as well because, I mean, most of the times you end up with one of these things. Um, I had my housemate pay me in cash for the, for the electricity bill. Cash? 
So old school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there was a casino win involved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually keen for in the future where I hope I can get a little splitter prepaid card and get all my friends around the table to chip in before I end up paying the bill. <laughs> um, maybe I just need some better friends though. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's definitely in the pipeline for us. We've got a few uh, technologies that we're looking at um, and one of those is, uh, is a little prepaid card. Um, that you can use through NFC payments to pay the the restaurant itself. So everyone chips in beforehand and then you pay the restaurant. That is amazing. (laughs) So, Dave, um, a lot of people are moving to email bills these days. Uh, So do you expect your users to maybe, are they going to be retro and take a photograph of their screen or have you got any sort of integration plans Yeah, so basically you can send us an email and we'll send you all the bills via email in pictures form basically. Um, wow. And then we will have a little spreadsheet that we will knock out that will give you all the um, line items and your share of those. You've really so thought of everything. This is good. <laughs> it's, um, it, was a bit, it was a long development process uh, and we thought about all the little bits and pieces that people might want. Um, so and, let's, and let's, let's get into that development process a little bit. Now that we've looked mm-hmm. at, you know, what the app does and, and how it does it and, and all the different use cases that you've looked at, um, how did you go about scoping this app when you began? Had you ever made an app before? Uh, no, but I'm quite lucky. I, uh, my, my co-founder, Stuart O'Connell, he's made a sharing economy app before. Um, and uh, look, my background is in strategy consulting and this is sort of how we sort of started. It was the typical first principles, um, big sky thinking, how, do we, how does it work? What are our use cases? Where does it really apply? And we ended up with sort of um, three, use, three generic use cases, eating out um, in the home, and the last one was just enjoying life, um, which is sort of more about tickets, um, holidays. Mixed uh, netball. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Paying your registration fees, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, that, but that sort of uh, um, was, our, was our three use cases, and we wanted to start down a route that led us essentially capture those three markets. And the best way to come about that was, right, we need an app that uses OCR. Um, because there's no way we'll be able to integrate across, mm, I don't know, all of those industries and all the payment systems that exist for all of that stuff. Mm. Um, and then from and that point, did you, did you, you know, send out a, a brief for a developer or did you get some people on board? Yeah. So, so my, like I said, my co-founder is, a, is an experienced um, full-stack developer mm-hmm. um, and he'd launched an app before and I sat down with him and I wrote, I have an engineering background, so I wrote a, a functional system, uh, was it function and performance specification that I wanted and nice. we worked through how we we're going to get that done um, and we got, a, we got a great product, I thought, um, initially and that was sort of one of the problems was that my original design was very functional um, and we put it out to our first testing group and it was not universally liked. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think there needs, there needs to be an element of fun, right? Like it, it can't be too dry and spreadsheety. Absolutely, absolutely. And that was what we basically found. And it was interesting that um, from our uh, user testing group, women itself for this functional design really didn't like to use the app. Whereas men found it very fun and well, not so much fun, but they found it intriguing <laughs> to go step by step and learn all the way through. But uh, it was just a, it was a weird dynamic. And so we sat down and we took a we had a focus group um, with a, with a bunch of the user testers, and we got on board a, a, a very good um, UX designer, mm. uh, UI designer from from the US, and we basically revamped the whole process. And it came down to sort of three questions, which was 
what are you splitting, who are you splitting it with, and how are you going to split it? Beautiful. Simplify the problem and, that, and then and solve. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and that's sort of how we built up the, the the user experience from there. I mean, we went back to testing with a with 100 or so beta testers. Um, it, it, it was actually really well liked. So we were very happy about that. Were, were there any challenges around supporting um, iOS and Android out of the gate or did, did you sort of stagger features on the two platforms? No, um, we basically have a, a build mechanism. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, it's called React Native. Mm-hmm. And it lets you, lets you build in both iOS and uh, Android simultaneously with a few different tweaks. Um, and uh, that, that was quite good. Stuart's well-versed well in React Native from his um, uh, social econ- uh, sharing economy apps. So. so Dave, when you were looking at frameworks to build in, did you try and find things that had examples of previous applications with OCR features? Uh, so, yes and no. Um, I studied, like I said, I studied engineering, we did uh, robotic engineering at uni, so I knew quite a lot about how OCR itself worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have some generic components. Of course, we need to like link into it to mm. the libraries, to the camera libraries, and things like that. But we also have some proprietary uh, OCR bits and pieces that we've knocked up to improve the overall um, efficiency. Nice and one. Effectiveness. Yeah. Of the, so, um, some extra lenses. Some potential licensing uh, yeah, opportunities definitely. there. Yeah. Well, there's enough of these OCR lens. Um, uh, libraries out there at the moment, but I don't know how many are uh, uh, vi- vastly improving on the um, sort of the baseline mm. models. Mm. Um, and and this all comes down to essentially the machine learning component, right? The more people you get using your OCR engine with a machine learning backend, the better it gets. Fantastic. Well, Dave, thanks so much for sharing some time with us this evening and um, teaching us a little bit about Splitter. It is available for download now on the App Store and Google Play. Is there anything else you'd like to let listeners know? Um, no, just like it, whenever you feel, you feel yourself under, with a bit of pinch in your pocket or a bit of social awkwardness around splitting bills, Splitter is the best uh, app to use for that. <laughs> thanks a lot, Dave. Um, we thought that considering we'd had a bit of a finance focus with our interview with the co-founder of Splitter, which I figure now might be a good time to say that Splitter is felt is spelt, so hard to say, S-P-L-I-T-R. So there's no E there, there's no double T, it's Splitter, like, let's face it, like Grinder. And, um, <laughs> and when you're trying to find it, that's, that's what you should look for. <laughs> it's all about sharing people. Um, yeah, but while we have this financial focus... We thought it's the, it's the end of the year. A lot of people have been talking about being virtuous and getting their tax returns done already, which I haven't done because I'm not that, that financially but virtuous. remember, it's also the start of the new tax year it already. It absolutely is. Mm-hmm. That's how I'm having to see it yeah. right now because yeah. I'm like, wow, I didn't save any receipts at all. <laughs> so now is the optimum time for everybody out there, and we're mostly talking to ourselves as well, <laughs> to, to start with some good behaviours for the new financial year. And there are actually a lot of apps that can help you do this. And you can think about ones that can help you with the tax return itself and ones that can, oh, you know, there are budget apps out there, but also ones that can keep track of things so that by the time you come to the next tax return, you'll have some ducks in a row. You'll know what those deductions are. You'll have all the receipts there. They might be aggregated. Maybe your app can shoot things directly into your e-tax return. Oh, it used to be called e-tax. Now it's your, your my tax. Mm-hmm. And uh, the names of these apps, I've got to say, 
not that memorable. So, you know, maybe get a jot a, them down. Yeah, have a little note ready in your <laughs> in your phone. Can, I, can really, I can I just say before we start? I'm an app developer, and I've spent time thinking about hmm, how would I make an app for tracking my expenses you know, <laughs> as a, as a contractor. I've often thought about this, never actually made an app. But I have to confess, I've never actually used an app either. I've always just fallen back to, okay, take some photos, put that in a a folder on my Google Drive, drag that into a spreadsheet. So I think this is going to be a a topic to... Yeah. Convince me. All right. To preach let's, to let's, me. Let's see if we can if we can preach to the unconverted. <laughs> My favourite. Um, so let's let's start with the ATO app. The tax office itself does have an app that then integrates with um, with the whole tax, tax form submission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's available on the iOS, Android, and Windows Phone platforms. It's free as it should be because it's a public service. Um, so the official ATO app. Um, is the only one that we f- we're going to speak about tonight that uh, does support Windows phones, but um, there's quite a few of these who are available, which are available for iOS and or Android. Um, one thing you can be really sure about is it implements the ATO rules correctly, or if it didn't, you'd have a tremendously good leg to stand on. <laughs> it has lots of tools and calculators, um, including a tax withheld calculator built in, so you can. Yeah, you know, look at that little figure of how much tax has been withheld and start going. whittling away mm-hmm. at it with your deductibles. <laughs> that's always that's always a, a happy feeling. Um, it also has the ability to set a voice print for biometric authentication with the ATO. I th- to me, this is quite a controversial feature and not one that I'd be happy taking advantage of at the moment. I'm, I'm not sure I quite trust the major tech giants to get my voice print right. So it's early no days offense, for voice ATO. I know you're a big player in the Australian tax area, but mm. in terms of the, the world tech scene, <laughs> yeah, so, maybe just hold off. <laughs> so one of the good things is it also syncs with the My Deductions app. Uh, so if you're the sort of person who has to travel between locations for your job and might have some tax deductions there, um, there are some heavy uh, requirements for logging that you might have to meet. And the My Deductions app is meant to be particularly good for helping you track the logging of car trips. So yeah, I, th- that I think that's particularly good. useful because you know you're going to have the right information. It's not that horrible scramble where you thought you were you being a good tax things. citizen all yeah. year and then you get to tax return time and you're like, oh, And it's no. in the right place. You know, it's on your yep. phone. It's going to be with you while you're driving around um, much better than a physical log- logbook. Well, and if you lose the phone, you know, you'll still have the data. And not in your hand while you're driving, obviously. Obviously not. <laughs> No, that's terrible. Um, while you'll be redirected to either MyTax or e- uh, to lodge your return, the data entered into My Deductions will sync up and you can use the app after the fact to check the status of your tax return. So that's kind of cool. Uh, the ATO also has um, tools for business owners built in, including a business performance check, which is kind of interesting. It'll benchmark you against competitors in your industry. So compared to a similar business, are you paying more or less tax? Are you having more or less deductions? And then you can think about why might that be? Maybe I need to actually see a professional to help me. I think that's that's so cool that they're surfacing that data um, to, to you know us regular taxpayers. That's the kind of thing that big data the government collects and doesn't always expose back to us. So I, th- I think Particularly that's Particularly if you're a small business that's starting to grow and you haven't reached that threshold where you're yet ready to invest in serious tax services, mm-hmm. this might be the trigger point where you say, right, now's the time that we might actually make a return on that investment. Check so, it out. Yeah, so we'll move off the official ATO tools, which are probably a bit easier for people to find. Um, 
Pocketbook. Now, have, has anyone here used the actual Pocketbook budgeting app? No. I have, but it only synced up with one of my bank accounts, oh. not the other bank because I'm with a much smaller bank on oh, that one. Okay. And then I changed my um, my main account to the other account. So now it just keeps sending me, you're over your spending limit and mm. I, I haven't fixed it. But I'm, I'm hearing user error, Cassie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 100% my fault. Um, and it, But it, it was good. I did get it to keep track of my spending, yeah. except then I didn't like that it kept track of my spending. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's and, very fair. Yeah, and the actual app was good in that it um it automatically broke things down into um, categories. Mm. So I and think you can adjust those categories as well. You if can you're adjust. Not quite right. You can adjust those categories. Like if you're like, oh no, I'm spending too much on food, right? You can pretend it's something else. I'm going to break it into vegetables and other food. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I thought that this was really interesting because I, I never thought of doing my tax return by Pocketbook and apparently that's an offering. Yeah, so the thing is Pocketbook is a budgeting app and they're a great Aussie company. Um, I use the tool, I really like it uh, and that tool's free but they actually also have an e-tax return app and they really do work quite um, compatibly together. So I already found the budgeting app useful enough in identifying deductibles because as I go through the year, I can assign a category and say, I know this is some sort of IT equipment that I need for work and just you know, mark it there and then go back and have a look through my history. But the tax return app, they promise that you can complete your tax return in 10 minutes, which is quite amazing. Uh, Part of their their positioning is that they're asking you the sort of questions you need to answer for your return, but in plain English. So they're trying to demystify and de-jargonise the the process. Um, They've also got a message and accountant feature, which is kind of nice. You can snap photos of your important documents to easily import them. And uh, this is only available for iOS. So it's free to start and use it, but to actually lodge and commit to using this service is uh, $49 which is quite reasonable. It's probably half the price of most kind of walk-in, just regular mm. tax services. Um, I think the message to the accountant is really a differentiator for them. Yeah, um, and, and on that topic of a, a service that kind of puts you in touch with an accountant, um, PwC, obviously the massive consulting accountancy firm, um, they have a product called AirTax, which is available on iOS and Android and looks like it has a web presence as well. Um, which essentially is kind of trying to bridge that gap between I'm a small business owner and you know I know that I need to be worrying about my accounting more than I am but I'm not yet ready to sign on to you know some some big big package so basically it lets it helps you with your business activity statements um, it helps you lodging your income tax and it's kind of at that medium um, 49 dollars for a lodgement that kind of price range. So I think I think the advantage you get there is you know that it's backed by a massive uh, accounting firm with with a lot of expertise, and I can I haven't used the product, but I can see that they've really worked hard to make the interface kind of simple, which I think is one of those things with tax where it's 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 you know it's complicated and you've got all this information flying around and it's a real problem of trying to make that information accessible. So that's another one to check out, um, Air Tax on iOS and Android from PwC. Uh, there's also, confusingly, um, a, a couple of tools uh, that are called MyTax and MyTax for Mac, which are not to be confused with, uh, not to be confused with the ATO official MyTax. My yeah. yeah, but uh, this product is available for iOS and for Mac OS X. 
Um, so you can either buy like a $13 iOS app or I'm not sure how much the development version is. I couldn't see an up-to-date version. Um, it's developed by an Australian chartered accountant. And this sounds like, you know, just one accountant who wanted a solution for themselves and for their clients and just went out there and developed an app. And that's kind of cool. So it's it goes into a lot of detail about the features, but um, some of the ones that are different from other things we've seen are built-in um, salary sacrificing of vehicles using statutory methods or logbook methods. Um, not to say that the others don't have that, it's just that this one sort of explicitly called out mm -hmm. in so much detail, so many features. Um, I guess because they were really proud as they as they added each one, which is kind of cool. Um, different types of FPT payables, uh, payables. They've got lots of calculators in there, which is pretty common to most of these apps actually. Things like loan calculators, tax rate summaries, um, your PAYG type of calculator, and you know, uh, deductible kind of estimates. I get the impression this app might be one for those who know a bit more about tax already. Yeah. So you're already fairly savvy about about the ins and the outs of tax and you just need a tool that's going to help you get all your information in And there. you kind of want some reporting because yeah. it, it, yep. it's big on the, the PDF reporting sort of thing. From my reading of this, because I'm kind of, I don't know if you've seen Black Books, but I'm kind of burning black <laughs> with the tax jacket um, in the first episode. I could see myself using this as something that would help me bring documents to my accountant mm. to kind of mm -hmm. just get a bit more prepared because at the moment I'm like, I've got nothing when I walk in, but yeah. <laughs> um, to actually kind of get sorted and, and still get that import but have something with me. Nice. Kent, we've got one more tax app that people might want to know about. We do. Um, Squirrel Street, also available on iOS and Android. Uh, it has a what what might appear to be a, a steep price on on initial view. It's twenty six ninety five per month, um, but you can you don't have to subscribe every month. So you can sort of pay in the months where you know you're going to be heavily using your tax, or maybe try it out for a month, see if it works for you. And again, um, if you're a small business, this is kind of twenty six ninety five is is a cheap accountant. Mm. <laughs> uh, some of the features again, um, transforming receipt images into uh, you know data, again, that OCR machine learning type of technology, um, instantly archiving receipts, um, tracking mileage. So again, all these features that, that we've kind of pointed out as necessary if, you, if you're running a small business, they're all in there. Um, and also friendly support, which I think is a, a huge requirement for a lot of these apps because tax is hard. I just want a little fun character popping up on my phone and saying, did you know that what you paid for your VPN <laughs> could be taxable? But it may make the government track you a bit more, you know, letting me choose. P.S. Listen to bite into it. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants that, but we all want that, you know. Did you know you could have a handbag or work bag that carries <laughs> an electronic device that's under $300, as in the bag, not the device? And, uh, and that could be a tax deduction. So look into it. Someone Everybody make this bags. up. <laughs> yeah, this is good. This is good. I need that. <laughs> Before we let you go for the week, we've finished with the financial data, but we do have um, a couple of events. Uh, Code Breakers is an exhibition at Acme celebrating the achievements of Australian and New Zealand women in games. It opened last night. It runs daily from 10 to 5 until the 5th of November, and it's free to visit. You can play games throughout the exhibit and find out more about the game makers. We spoke to a couple of the um, co-curators a couple of weeks ago, and... It's just, it's a tremendous exhibition. I do recommend people get along. If you've got young people in your lives who are interested in maybe getting into games or just like games and don't really think about what goes on behind the scenes, it might be an inspiring little exhibition that doesn't take long to go through um, unless you decide to really get into those games. 
And, yeah, it might plant some seeds. I'm totes going this weekend. Yeah, it's great. Uh, also this Friday, GovHack. Uh, so Friday 20th of July to Sunday 30th of July, it's the world's, well, an international competition of hacking. So um, a better building a better society using government data. So if you're a, a hacker or you, you would like to get into this space of, of building things from government data, um, check out GovHack2017. Mm. Also had some exciting news out from the Free Play Independent Games Festival this week. They have announced a new artistic director, Chad Toprak. So congratulations to you, Chad. Uh, and they've also announced the first of um, the series of events for the... Well, Oh, for the next, uh, like under this new artistic director, uh, the Contours Exhibition 2017. So have a little bit of a Google of free play. Um, one of the events is at the library at the dock on the 15th of August at 5.30. They'll be in conversation with Ian McLarty and um, he'll be sharing ideas, insights, stories and experience as a part-time game designer and programmer and he's based in Melbourne. So that sounds pretty exciting. Uh, We'd love to say thank you to everyone for tuning in this evening. Thanks to our guest, Dave Shuri, the founder of Splitter. Thanks, Cassie and Kent, for being my companions behind the desk here, making me laugh so much. Up next is the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew. Do stick around for that. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.